Hello, the internet, and welcome to season 191, episode 3 of Third Daily Zeitgeist, a production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness, and it is Wednesday, June 30th, 2021. My name is Jack O'Brien, a.k.a. Let him say we're chuggy. Don't care about that. Put your takes in my takes, Miles. Don't ever look back. Let the world around us just fall apart miles we can make it if we're talking farts and we can host this pod together second rate forever daily zeit is starting now uh that is courtesy of official dickhead and i'm thrilled to be joined as always by my co-host mr miles gray ufos Jack won't fucking stop with all the UFOs. <laughs> Flying Tic Tacs. Oh, please, God, no UFOs. I am worried Jack's obsessed with UFOs. Come on, buddy. Let's go watch us. Please, let's go. Anyway, shout out to Christy Yamaguchi Main for that by Lamos inspired <laughs> UFO. Just. Just we're loving. We got big UFO energy on the show. I'm just asking you know? questions here, guys. Just I'm, questions. Not, I'm not obsessed. We're open. I'm just asking questions. I'm open to any potential outcome. Yes. And then you did. You were like, though, you believe you believe me, right? I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> Come on. It's okay, right? <laughs> Come on, Christy. It ain't that bad, baby. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Miles, we are thrilled to be joined in our third seat by a very talented writer and actor who's critically acclaimed one woman show i heart hamas hamas and other things i'm afraid to tell you toured for five years across the u.s and internationally and was dubbed a fantastic and important piece of theater at the edinburgh fringe festival her writing has appeared in books like don't panic i'm islamic and she's acted on shows like transparent and messiah please welcome jennifer jaja Woo! Hi, guys. What's up? Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, it is indeed. Yeah, yeah. How are you doing? What's I mean? I, I'm just me. I mean, we met. We were briefly talking before. But how are you? How are you? Uh, how are you liking this day? Podcast this so weather, far. This podcast so far. The singing. <laughs> Do you like us? How does that rate for you as someone who's an acclaimed performer? You know, I love to wake up and be serenaded by two men. So yes, yeah. let's do this. I'm thumbs up on that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Usually, you know, usually I'm only serenaded by one man in the morning, but right. hey, uh-huh. and it's my dog, but um, <laughs> <laughs> not going to lie. Oh, all right. We started this off so cringe. Like, no, oh, the one dog. Sounds cute, actually. I know. And a cat. Oh, a cat. okay. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, I wanted to create my own personal Israel-Palestine in my home. There you go. There you <laughs> yeah. go. Or wait, are they not? Are they uh, at odds with each other? Oh, absolutely. The oh, cat wow. is like murderous constantly. Like I got the dog during pandemic because I was like, oh, the cat's so lonely and I'm still working the whole time. Right. And I thought it would be cute. Like they would be interspecies love. No, forget it. They hate each other. Yeah. Just it, nonstop. It no like cool moments where they like start cuddling up. It's just a, a cold war. Well, the cat started off kicking the dog's for the first you know year and then yeah. at some point the cat switched and was like all right i'm i'm ready like i need a cuddle buddy and so the cat now like warms up to the dog Aww. and tries to cuddle That's when the dog's sweet. sleeping but mm-hmm. then as soon as the dog like feels the fur on Starts its back growling. it like wakes up and just is like 
bolts across the room wants right. nothing to do with it oh yeah. because of oh because of the past years just all those paws to the face i'm sure the dog i have i have cats and a dog they get along mostly but like what they do is if if they are near each other it's just because they got tired at the same time near each other but they're not well, as see i thought it would be like cute them. <laughs> I, know, I thought it might be cute but it's not it's a war zone up in here <laughs> yeah i mean cats were evolved to kill rodents and dogs were evolved to like love and be like humans companions so i just feel like they're they're very different even though people act like are you a dog cat a dog person or a cat person it's like well they're they're very different animals exactly that's how we know more about you yeah all right, Jennifer, we're going to get to know you a little bit better in a moment. First, we're going to tell our listeners a couple of things we're talking about. We're going to talk about how American attitudes towards Palestine are changing and Joe Biden's is not at all. Uh, we're going to talk about Nancy Pelosi going forward with a January 6th commission without the Republicans. Finally, we'll talk about whether COVID will follow what happened with AIDS, which was basically we paid a lot of attention to it. And then once there was a partial solution that was available to rich people, we just pretended like it was over and it wasn't a problem anymore. So we'll talk about that, uh, all of that, plenty more. But first, Jennifer, we like to ask our guests, what is something from your search history? I was searching um, yesterday about Julian Assange's extradition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard he's next up apart. on the uh, on the hit list of the shadowy forces that killed Jeffrey Epstein and uh uh, what's his name? Oh, yeah. I'm super surprised he hasn't been taken out yet. That's just <laughs> shocking. Um, right. I, I guess his uh, his father and brother are doing a tour throughout the U.S. trying to drum up support for him. But he um, he's basically in a London jail waiting to get extradited to the U.S. for like charges of espionage. And, and but the whole case is falling apart. Like basically the guy who was the main witness for the U.S. case this Icelandic hacker basically like came out in the last few days and was like, nah, I made it all up. Like yeah. <laughs> everything I said uh, wow. was like BS just to, so that I can get immunity from the U S and allegedly while the DOJ was like interviewing this dude and collecting all this like evidence against Assange, the dude was like committing all these like financial crimes and like sexual assaults. So like their star witness is like a total criminal creep who yeah. basically said he lied. <laughs> so, yeah, federal government is a uh, bad bad uh force to be on the other side of it it seems like. Um Oh yeah. Yeah, they definitely will definitely not. And you, ha you have something like this like what's like your actual basis for a case now? You know, when you're yeah. relying on someone who just said, "Oh yeah, I, that was just all self-serving lies <laughs> I told, really nothing to do with the reality of your case against Julian Assange." So, we're what what now? I'm right. just kidding. I was like molesting women and committing right. financial crimes in between interviews with you guys. Right. Like, what? McAfee was the other guy I was talking about, obviously. It, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying there's anything inherently suspicious about that. I'm just saying that the people who are in trouble with the U.S. government seem to be uh, more likely to off themselves than other sorts of prisoners. And I, that could just be because, like we said, the federal government is the worst opponent to have in in this world, I think. The U.S. federal government, they're unkind. 
Uh, but, but Jeffrey Epstein definitely didn't off, off himself for sure. What is something you think is overrated? Oh, overrated. Going back to normal. Yeah. Mm. This is totally overrated. I, I'm not into this. No. They, people want people. Hey, people want you to, though. That's the like, you know, there's even I saw like the there's like materials that the administration and like the DNC are preparing to like paint this picture of like pre pandemic life and how like we're getting back to it. And you're I mean, you'd have to be you have to have your head so deep in the ground to not go through the last, you know, 14 months, 16 months and just say like, whoa, what about the hell world from before? Because we're getting a little bit of relief now, but what what is normal and wh how how is that equitable for everyone? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was like, wait a second, I didn't, I wasn't having a good time before. I don't want to go back to that. Like, yeah. And also, did we just go through this huge reset moment, this huge pause moment where we all kind of got to reassess what our values were to just be like, oh yeah, going back to status quo, let's hit the brunch scene. Like, yeah, nah, dude. Now that nobody wants to go back to work, right? It's like maybe maybe we need to reassess this system. For you, what what has been sort of your normal that you're not going back to personally? I mean, aside from I think a lot of the large, like as you say, a lot of people had time to assess their own priorities and things that may have been out of whack or whatever. Is, has there been anything specific for you that you're kind of like, well, no, I'm this is I've been changed in this way. Oh yeah, absolutely. I pretty much like quit all my jobs and liquidated all of my like business stuff during like within the last six months because mm. I was like, wait a second, none of what I'm doing has is adding value to the world. And, you know, it was all like all these hustle jobs so I can continue acting and doing comedy. Mm -hmm. And I realized like those were all taking over my life and I wasn't acting and doing comedy or I was like bits and pieces, but it was like that was my side gig was acting right. in comedy so I've kind of liquidated all of that in the past couple months. And then I also am, I've always been politically active. I'm Palestinian. We need to be politically active. That's mm -hmm. just like, you're born. It's like, you know, I feel like you're born African-American and you're, you're political because of your identity. Oh yeah. 100%. And so, yeah, it's like, I've always been political, but with everything going on right now, I'm just like, there's no time to worry about using my voice to like how it's going to harm my career or affect me like i can't mm. worry about my own self-interest at this moment because there's just too much at stake in the world so prior to that that was something that was sort of part of your like risk assessment or like calculus for how you're sort of navigating things or how whatever you'd say because you seem i mean in your work pretty outspoken so Oh, yeah, I did have a show called I Heart Hamas. So, <laughs> a little bit. I was like, ah, fuck it. But, yeah. you know, that actually was like a super cheeky title. And it was just kind of playing into the assumptions that right. everybody had. Sure. You know, I wrote that show with Kamal Bell and like, you know, it was it was definitely comedic, tragic comic, I would say. Yeah. But it really played with the assumption of like, this is who you think we are. Well, it's like, let me just co-op that identity and like take it to the most ridiculous, you know, wearing yeah. like this cute, sexy little like camo tank top. And <laughs> like, <laughs> right. like, all right, this is what you want. Here you go. But, you know, I was always political in my work, but definitely like thought about everything I was saying in terms of like, how is this going? Like, is this the right time to talk about this? Or right. like, is this the right setting to talk about this? And now I'm like, you know, 
Yeah, it's here and now. Those are out. Those are all out the window. It's yeah. like it's the only way to change the world is like to actively engage. And it's, you know, what what world are we fighting for? Yeah, right. absolutely. What is something you think is underrated? Free Britney, man. They those kids knew what was up. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Babs Gray and Co. Yeah, I mean it. And now, like, I'm I'm looking at her little Maui vacation photos. I'm like, I hope you're good. Hope I hope they <laughs> I hope they took the spending limits off your card. Fuck, like, what is happening? But yeah, it truly is. Uh, it's just it's really it's 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 interesting. Like, it's really sort of underlying the sort of evolution that I think people are having. Like, just in terms of how we look at popular culture and celebrity. And before, like, you know, it took as she said, what thirteen years of being in this conservatorship and for 13 years people were like i don't know it's probably good for her i guess it's just it seems okay and now we're like really having these discussions about you know what 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 agency actually looks like for someone and what autonomy is and how they can exercise that for themselves despite whatever you know mental health crises that they've gone through in their past absolutely i mean it's crazy that she was unaware that she could petition the court and ask for this to be removed like it took 13 years for her to be apprised of this information to me that's like right. serious criminal negligence on her attorney's part like how is she unaware of even how what her rights are so to me you know it just seems like yeah. all these people were conspiring to keep her under lock and key so they can like take a coin and go live a nice life while she was on a budget. This woman right. made millions of dollars and they put her on a budget. Like yeah. she was a high schooler. There, they'll be like teaching her story like years from now because it like brings together so many things like the American, you know, popular culture, but then like misogyny and like legal legalized, you know, the, misogyny and just the the way americans will like let abuse happen in plain sight like i i really think it's like a truly amazing story like we're finding we're finding out and also the power of like the internet to just let things bubble up where people are like something feels fucking off here right and you know this is one of the cases where that wasn't wrong they yeah they well, i think it. hopefully it erodes like how people sanctify these these things like our judicial system or you know our government and think like well there it's i mean if it's the judge says that it can't be wrong and i think a lot of us the critical thinking ended there of being like well if the judge ruled that it's probably a fair or just or whatever and now more than anything you're like no this this is like just they've legalized this sort of like really creepy paternalistic control culture and it's yeah like we're looking at it and i'm like how Wait, what? I mean, hopefully that continues more and people can keep the examinations going of these structures. I was I was so ready to leave my house when, you know, like it, it was almost like a, a feeling of suffocation. Like when you're like a teenager and you, you're just like ready to like move on and like having that extend into your adult life is just like I can't imagine a, a worse fate. Really, especially somebody who like does not whose like dad was not in their life and they just like kind of come back and take over control of their life. It's like a unique hell that the legal system kind of designed for her on top of, you know, what what the 
very specific hell of being a celebrity who where everybody feels like they have a a say and a stake in your sexuality like it's really i don't know fucked yeah there was that documentary that came out a couple months ago i think about it that was just like you know, I've never been a Britney Spears fan, but once I saw that, I was like, whoa, they did this girl so wrong. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't even surprise anyone that she would have a mental breakdown. But then to use that as a premise to completely like put her under lock and key and control every aspect of her life. And that fact that, like, you know, if you saw her Instagram, like she was just like dancing in her house in her underwear and like really badly filmed <laughs> right. really like manic dancing and she seemed like totally drugged up and you were like yeah that doesn't seem like a person who's like doing well and happy this seems like or did that at the very least didn't come off as authentic or genuine in any way like it's like that doesn't feel like is that's britney spears being comfortable in her own home for sure no, absolutely. Cry for help. It's like, wait, why are you never outside of that room? <laughs> like, right. What's right. happening? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like the behind the scenes footage of her where she just seems like a person, you know, from the documentary. Like you kind of saw that bleed through in the uh, court hearing. There's just this like one moment where like, I guess they had not secured the court proceedings like it, it it was conducted over zoom and so like she was like one of hundreds of people who were zooming into the thing and they also like because there's so much interest in it like their website crashed so like once they got that through like the judge was like can you please state your name and she's like who me oh i'm britney <laughs> i'm britney spears oh and it was just like so cute <laughs> and like it felt like that person that you saw in that documentary but like never see anywhere else right So, yeah, I mean, it's just like, it's fucked up. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll be back to talk some news. And we're back. And there's a new poll out that suggests that American attitudes towards Palestine are changing. Uh, This is something that we've kind of talked about just based on you know the the way you're allowed to talk about you know what is happening to the Palestinian people in the media has gone from like being very closely policed to slightly less policed yeah and people just being like fuck it i'm just going to say what i feel because this is a fucking atrocity it's a it's a genocide uh yeah. and that yeah so We saw that there. This poll indicates that that's something that's being seen sort of democratically across the population. Right. And I I mean, I think the biggest thing is that you see is for Democrats, you know, it's a poll from Democrats who, you know, sort of identify as liberal Democrats up to, you know, moderate Democrats from liberal Republicans up to conservative Republicans. And predictably, you know, it breaks down party lines the way you'd think Republicans are more in the camp of we're not supporting Israel enough and Democrats are we're not supporting the Palestinians enough. And Democrats, 51 percent say the U.S. is not supportive enough of the Palestinians, but it goes to 62 percent among Democrats who identify as liberal. And so on the other side, 
49% of Republicans say that the U.S. is not supportive enough of the Israelis. And then that goes to 61% if you're a conservative Republican. I'm not sure where the nuance exactly is with the Republicans, but this is what we're seeing sort of, I I think it makes sense because every, you know, the way Donald Trump's uh, administration worked, it was completely just sort of like, yeah, it's all bets are off. What do you want us? Do you want us to move the embassy? You want to just tell us what we, you know, we're, we're down to do whatever. And meanwhile, I think the media has been more interested in covering, you know, Biden's, as he says, ironclad commitment to Israel as he vows that Iran will never possess a nuclear weapon on his watch. And that's taken up a lot of the sort of headlines in the U.S. is to sort of reestablish Biden as someone who's standing with Israel. And unfortunately, this is really this is sadly predictable the way our media operates, because as we were talking on the trending episode the other day, is that while this is happening, we've talked about sort of the people that are being displaced from their homes in the Silwan neighborhood of occupied East Jerusalem and just sort of the how this is all legally happening, you know, because under the Israeli law, Jews, if they can if they can prove their families lived in this part of East Jerusalem before the establishment of Israel, they can essentially request the return of their property. And even if Palestinians have said, well, we've been here for decades. I mean, I don't know what you, what this claim is, but we've been here since for, for literal decades. Unfortunately, Palestinians do not have this right to contest anything like that. It's only for Israelis. Yet we have establishment Democrats who are just doing everything they can to avoid any meaningful examination of our relationship to this genocide. While we're also seeing in the numbers, there is a growing number of people who voted for Joe Biden who are also on the other side saying we disapprove of his handling of this entire situation. It's I think in a world where, again, seeing how clearly uh, systems of oppression operate within this country and abroad and even the connections on how, you know, crowd control, riot control technologies are tested on Palestinians or are experimented Palestinians and then they export that technology to people here who are advocate, advocating for better outcomes for black Americans and things like that. You see just this connection, but we're not, we're never, uh, for, the, the media is not going to sort of arrive at that place to really put everything on the table and say, where are we at and what are we actually advocating for as a country? Um, because that would force many conversations that I think the United States is not interested in having. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just a bit of a odd, not odd, just a sort of depressing moment to know that these things are all happening concurrently. Well, it's absolutely, like you said, it's totally predictable. I mean, there is a a video that's circulating of Biden, like in the 80s, speaking. um, Oh, the best investment we've ever made. Yeah, where he's like, you know, if there wasn't an Israel in the Middle East, the U.S. would create an Israel. Yeah, we'd have to create because we that's how. That is our client state. That is our reach into the Middle East. That's mm-hmm. our control of the entire region. And like, unfortunately, no matter what kind of uh, steps that Israel takes in terms of like furthering apartheid and genocide of Palestine, and the Palestinian people like the U.S., you know, slaps them on the wrist, but keeps sending them $700 million worth of weapons. So you know, I think the the basics are like the U.S., the the foreign policy of the U.S., no matter who's in the White House, isn't going to change. No, unless, yeah, we somehow I, and that's the thing. It's like how I, it's hard to envision someone ever reaching it, that reaching that far or going that far to get to the White House. 
to completely upend the foreign policy because it's not about security for America. It's just about keeping the vested interests that we have in like resources and other things like that just running the same way without any regard for what the human cost is. And I think until we do that, like we're not going to see any. It's the same way with the we're a lot of people are yearning for the change, even with our domestic policy and how we treat people within our borders. And I think it's just they're all sort of they're all intrinsically tied to each other. And we're, you know, a lot of people are left with their heads scratching without arriving to the point that we need radical change um, in order for these things to to even uh, begin to inch towards something more equitable. I mean, not to be a conspiracy theorist, but the president is a figurehead and the administration is absolutely on like there is an agenda that no matter who you are and you get in there, like you've got a little bit of wiggle room in terms of party lines. But the reality is there's a status quo that isn't going to change and it's not going to be top down change. It's going to be people on the ground Mm -hmm. agitating for change, even with things like Medicare for all or, you know, What's happening with immigrants or, you know, African-Americans like there is not going to be any major shift coming from the top down because everybody at the top is benefiting from this. So why would they go against their own best interest? I mean, when you look at just sort of demographically, that 50 percent of the members of Congress are millionaires, that how the fuck could you ever get someone like that to understand what it means to live hand to mouth? to live paycheck to paycheck. It's all abstract. And for the people who are, you know, in their 70s and 80s, they I can't you you, you see all the time. These people don't know the cost of anything or you say they say the most sort of disconnected from reality takes about like what a dollar can get you these days. And these are the people who have the decision making power. And yeah, I, I really believe it's the the greatest changes are coming from the bottom up because just how people are naturally saying, well, I'm not going to work for less than fifteen dollars. That's already forcing a lot of companies to be like, well, fuck here, 15. And if you come with a friend, you'll get 200 bucks. Like I was just traveling through the state and I saw like on hotels and motels on their marquees, they were advertising what their wages were and then like perks on top of it. And you're realizing that this is truly this is something that a lot of especially business owners are having to grapple with. But that's because it's happening organically from the bottom. Jennifer, as someone on the ground who's actively kind of engaged in this specific conflict, like just, you know, talking to people, have you seen things change just in terms of like what people are willing to say and like how people view the conflict? I've absolutely seen a shift for sure. I mean, a lot of large, you know, people who have a lot bigger platforms, celebrities have spoken up. A lot of them have been, have walked back what they said though, because after weeks of speaking up, I feel like their handlers, you know, I even have a friend who's a big um, director in Hollywood and she's been really outspoken online. And she told me that her management and her, her reps called her and they were like, yo, people are starting to call us and tell us like you're going really out there with your politics and like this is going to jeopardize your ability to get hired. So when people like Mark Ruffalo are like super strongly advocating for Palestine and then all of a sudden make a U-turn and walk it back, you know, you're not surprised because the amount and and my friends, you know, she's a, she's a working director, but she's not a huge director. So you have to think these like mega stars like Bella Hadid or Mark Ruffalo, who are who are being really outspoken and they're not being outspoken in an insane way. They're just like 
this is wrong. There needs to yeah. be justice. Palestinians are human beings and they're being, you know, they're being terrorized. This is unacceptable. And so for them to have to walk that back is just really frustrating, but shows you the control, the vice grip going on in like, in, in terms of speaking out. But then there are other people like India Moore who are just like, I don't care if this hurts my career. I'm right, on the side yeah. of justice. Yeah. So I think, you know, we're seeing a lot more people being outspoken. We're seeing people in Congress being outspoken, which has never happened before. Betty McCollum introduced this bill to uh, limit how, you know, that funding to Israel had to be like it couldn't be used to harm children and to, you know, for bombing and for certain things. It's like we're trying to control, you know, they're trying to control how Israel spends the money. But really... The whole system is really corrupt. And so it's the question of like how even in the U.S., how do you reform the system? Is it through two parties? Is it through diplomacy or is it through like shaking up the system from within and enough of a groundswell of people speaking up? And so I think that's what when I saw the shift and I felt like there is a palpable shift of people being like enough is enough. Israelis you know, celebrities, a lot of like anti-Zionist Jews who are like, whoa, this isn't right. I feel like there's a cultural shift that has to do that's like built on all the work Black Lives Matter did and built on like all of the precedents in the last couple of years of of people really resisting and um, agitating for social justice issues, for trans rights, for black lives, for all of this. And so it's kind of a wave where people now are making the connections between all these different movements. And they're like, wait, I can't support this. And then not be on board with this. Like, you got to be progressive across the board. And so it's exciting that those connections are now being made. Yeah. Something I heard you mention in an interview was the idea of just the entire region being a democratically run, like a democracy, basically. And I mean, that's uh, the U.S. justifies uh, a lot of its foreign policy by you know, with the idea of bringing democracy to other countries and other regions, but like that, you don't even hear that like mentioned as a as an option in Palestine and Israel. Like that's well, just... the hilarious thing is they call it. They're like Israel's the only democracy in the Middle East. I'm like, look, you tried to bring democracy to Iraq and killed uh, millions of Iraqis. How did mm-hmm. that work for you? Like right. your imposition of your concept of democracy on another culture is absolutely asinine, and. But Especially when also, we don't even have a democracy here. Right. Absolutely not. And then the uh, the assumption or this like, you know, assertion that Israel is a democracy. It's like, wait, there's four million plus Palestinians unoccupied who are like in this limbo where they can be attacked or bombed or arrested or raided at any time, have no control over their like coming in and out of their territory, can't leave can't vote, have no human rights, are not even being vaccinated. Right. And yet and have like no autonomy. But we're calling this a democracy. It's like, well, those aren't really our citizens. So we're a democracy over here. But the people we occupy don't really count in terms of our democracy. I'm like, that's pretty selective in terms of your definition. Then that's not a democracy. And I I guess and that's the trap of for American foreign policy to look at the situation very objectively because it would force the lens to be put back on this country and be like, it's all it's happening here, too. 
we're just doing it in different ways. We're also we we have subsets of citizens that we're not interested in their mobility at all or their well-being. And we want to just keep this air up that everything's fine and okay, and just sort of have these like really dark corners of our country just be ignored and just focus on like the bright middle part. And I think that's inherently just like I think the U.S. just as the as it's uh, structured now is incapable of having that kind of reckoning because it would it would force its own. And that's I think America's fantastic at escaping a reckoning with its own history or policies. Yeah, everything's a PR campaign to put a little pretty rainbow and pretend you support gay rights and then you're actually contributing to anti-LGBT legislation. So it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, everything's the PR campaign. It's this pretty veneer that we just go, oh, yes, Israel democracy. Oh, yes, all these companies support LGBT rights. But when you dig deeper, you're like, that's, you know, that's just a really pretty slick ad campaign. But the reality is that no, Home Depot doesn't support, you know, they, right. they were, there was this infographic about like Home Depot and all of these other or Walmart and where they were like doing this like pro pride, you yeah. know, all, all of these Logo commercials. Redesigned. And right, then right. you're like, what the F is going on? Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. you, you hate gays. What's wrong? <laughs> oh yeah. Just our PR people said we need to say this to keep sales going. So we do that because the bottom line is just the, the revenue, the capital. That's right. really all it is. But it's really, it just, it reminds me of like the idea of letting Palestinian people vote, <laughs> like have, have human rights, like reminds me of the Black Lives Matter movement. It's like this very basic thing you're saying is like, these are people too who should be treated as citizens that like outrages people that is treated as like this very, you know, radical uh, thing. I I feel like that more and more people are kind of coming around to like, wow, that's can't be on the right side if the idea that these people's lives matter or that these people should be able to vote in elections that like determine the outcome of the place that they live, like is considered radical. Like then, yeah, yeah you're you're fucked. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. And that's what we saw with Trump in office. Honestly, as maniacal as Trump was, I felt like it was good for this country in the sense that it brought up all the filth to the surface. And so there was no illusion that all of this racism and, and like craziness it was going on that could be like, oh, of course, you know, with a, I feel like with a Democrat in the office, no one's pointing out that there's still kids at the border in cages. No one's pointing out all right. of these things mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, kumbaya, let's go to brunch and hold hands, blue no matter who. And the reality is during Trump's reign of terror, as I like to call it, mm-hmm. it just brought up all the muck to the surface. And it's like in order to move forward and like create what we want as a country and as, you know, to create what we want in terms of our living environments, we have to dismantle all of these systems and we can't dismantle them if we can't see them or we're pretending they don't exist. So on some level, I feel like it was regenerative for the evolution of the U.S. as a country. Now, if we're going to ask if we're going to keep this momentum going and actually ride that wave, I don't know. I have doubts some days. You know, I saw this uh, graphic this like meme with a metronome where like one side was like 
we're changing the world. And the other side was like, I'm desperately in an existential crisis and like everything's terrible. And it's like, I keep going back and forth from one extreme to like, yes, we are upending these systems to like, oh my God, we are like under so much pressure from people who want to maintain the status quo and hurt, murder, silence anybody who has any, you know, who wants to point out like, yo, this is not so cool. Right. Right. And even that, just to say, even if someone was, I probably had to take this like, it's not so cool what's happening in occupied East Jerusalem. Like people are like, hey, that's a hot take. That's yeah. a hot take. You know, that's a hot take. Don't say it's not chill. You know, like to try and be like as both sidesy as possible. But yeah, I think that shows you something when merely having a take that is asserting someone's humanity is considered controversial. Uh, it's it's pretty clear who's who's in the right and who's in the wrong because I think in general we just we we're that's like the, I feel like one step that we need to arrive at as a society is to be able to say every single person on the planet is a human <laughs> who deserves dignity and respect and huh. we have to start from a place where we can offer that to everyone and fuck all the labels and the partisans like we have to go to things like if you are a human you know and I'm sorry to the bionic android people out there who are who are robots but if you're human that this is the dignity that you should be afforded and that's like slowly where we're chipping away at but we're having to be specific like well these people are human too and these people are human too and these people are human too and we're seeing that there's a huge pushback from the from those who it's easier or more comfortable for them to put these people in a category that is not human or one where we don't have to acknowledge their humanity you know and the crazy thing is like a lot of Palestinians, uh, the movement and a lot of like anti-Zionist Jews who are calling for, hey, the solution is really simple, guys. One democratic state for everybody who considers this their homeland. We all live together and deal with each other and get over it. Like, let's just all be a democracy and like all be citizens and not have this ongoing occupation and buildup of hatred and enmity that's causing generations and generations of trauma and violence. Like. Mm-hmm. Let's meet, you know, like, let's meet in the middle and all be part of one democratic state. And Israel's like, that means the death of Israel. You're like, so you're not a democracy. You're a theocracy. It's because they're calling for a state for Jews. So if you're not a Jew, too bad, so sad. Thank you, but no thanks. And so even... You know, there's tons of like foreign workers who live there who are like Filipino or Sri Lankan and work in Israel and marry Israelis and they still don't have full citizen rights. There are. And this whole return, as you mentioned, like if an Israeli says, oh, yeah, my family had this land that this guy's house is on. So I'm stealing this house. That's allowed. But if a Palestinian who's an Israeli citizen says, hey, yeah, I want to go back to my village. That was my house. And I want it. I want to take it back. They don't have the same right. So it's not based on Israelis who have this right to uh, go back and take their land back. It's only Jews who are Israelis who have this right. 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 Yeah. All right. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we're back. So I want to talk about this Washington Post op-ed that was making the point that I guess there was a Pete Davidson joke in in the season finale of SNL where he made reference to the fact that 
AIDS is still here. We just like don't, nobody's gotten excited about it since the 90s. And I feel like that's, it was like SNL's like AIDS. It's still here. It's just nobody's gotten excited about it since the 90s. I think, I think the, it went on to make points about AIDS. I don't think it was just using AIDS as like the punchline. Right, right. But, Especially among like black and brown people and drug users and poor people, the way the story has crossed the headlines in the past 20 years has been all about how good the new medication is and like all these medical advances. And it's completely ignored the fact that it's still an extremely deadly and, you know, widespread disease that is it's a crisis that is just kind of gone away from the headlines because uh there are effective treatments that are expensive and unattainable for the poor but they like we basically were just like well that problem's been solved in in like sort of the central like hive mind version of the story it just feels like once magic johnson was able to continue living we were just like well that that's amazing like congratulations to science and the point of the article in addition to just pointing out that like aids is still this massive crisis is that like they see a similar thing happening with covid right like covid now that the vaccine has been made easier to come by and more and more people are getting the vaccine we're able to just like kind of mark the box next to that problem like solved. And it's definitely not for poor and especially poor black Americans because they're not given equal access to education and healthcare. So the point is basically like that this is how America and American media likes to deal with these sorts of epidemics is like wait until there's a solution for wealthy and then pretend like it's been solved it's almost as if yeah it's the class of people are dictating what the news is so for them it's like just more of a reflection of how they look at something it's like oh well thank god i got the vaccine okay let's start uh let's start reporting about how we're going back to normal because i we're looking at it from our very narrow perspective of having access yeah because i'm going back to normal so right i guess everybody else is yeah also like the, this article makes the point that Efforts to vaccinate incarcerated people like completely vary from state to state. Yeah. How is it possible that like not all prisoners in U.S. prisons have been given the vaccine yet? We have like a surplus of vaccines. <laughs> like what the fuck? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's what's so remarkable. It's like you actually control every aspect of these people's lives and you can't vaccinate them. Right. What's what's going on? Who dropped the ball on that? Like, I mean, yeah, or it's just, you know, part and parcel of, a you know, slow motion way of killing a group of people by yeah. have, like by over, like mass incarceration. And then huh, on top of that, I don't know, we can worry about their health care at another time. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just makes me even more cynical when it comes to looking at those kinds of things. Yeah, absolutely. So that's just something that is worth thinking about as, you know, just more up to the moment, a newer development is that the Delta variant of COVID-19 is now in America spreading widely and health officials are saying we should be going back to wearing masks indoors, whether you're vaccinated or not. And it, 
This is more anecdotal, but it really feels to me like people just have absolutely no tolerance for that idea of like, you know, what when the pandemic first hit, there was this conversation about the hammer and the dance. Like you would do like social distancing and closing down of society when like numbers got high and then you would slowly emerge back out. And then when numbers got high again, you would go back and it just feels like the central narrative has become, well, now people are vaccinated, so we're never going back. Like, go fuck yourself, doctor. Right. And I don't know. I, w- I was just saying before we started recording, I was in a Ralph's yesterday and for the first time there was no mask mandate. And it was basically me and old people wearing masks. Like, I don't know. And I I don't think that's because everybody's like selfish and nihilistic and doesn't care if like old people like normally you would be you would look at that and be like, well, they clearly feel like they would like me to be wearing a mask if they're wearing a mask. So I will wear a mask. But I just feel like there's something that is like people are just spent like the living in these trying times energy is just they're just like fuck that i'm not i'm not going back to those times yeah but i think there's also a really intentional push from many different sides to create this air of normalcy again despite the fact that we are still in the midst of a global pandemic but because americans have a very special skill which is called blinders to the fucking world that you just take your cues and be like, well, they got this place open back up and they're doing a sale and shit. I could get this. It's easy to start getting this momentum back because a lot of these elements that were from the before times, quote unquote, are sort of being put back in front of us like that you can get together, that you can eat inside, that you don't have to wear a mask. And yeah, it's it, it's unfortunate because on the other side of it, for like a lot of the things that are coming from state governments and municipalities is sort of just like suggesting, even though they know what may be right or not right in terms of, you know, what's best for public health and just like leaving it up to people. And unfortunately, that's I don't think enough people are really looking at it in a way thinking this. there's still things out there. There's still variants out there. And I'm also in a state that might not even be 40 percent vaccinated. And what does that mean? Absolutely. And Americans aren't known for our stamina. Like we really have. (laughs) We're not we're absolutely not used to living under duress or under I mean, certain segments of the population are. But for the most part, the general American population, like we haven't gone through a major war. We haven't had to do wartime efforts. We haven't, you know, been bombed or attacked. We haven't had a major crisis in our lifetimes. And so I feel like we're And, you know, there's also the rampant individualism and like, don't tread on my rights. And so it's like that lethal combination of it's like arrogance and also like exceptionalism. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, Exceptional. I haven't I haven't had enough coffee this morning. (laughs) (laughs) It's like we think that we're immune to doing what everybody else has to do and that we're going to like triumph over this, you know, as if it's something to triumph over. It's like, dude, it's a virus. It is taking down a lot of the world. Millions of people died. And and at this point, it's like other countries are closing back up. I just talked to people who were like, yeah, Australia's like taking another hit again. People in London are taking another hit again. People are going to masks indoors. And I feel 
Like there's also a push from small business. And like, because of the way that businesses were not supported, individuals were not supported to survive during this time that people are like, I need to go back to having a life and Mm -hmm. making a living and I can't go bankrupt. So it's it's like this weird combination of all of these different forces that are putting us in a position where we like think we're above it, but we're also like, yo, you're not supporting us to withstand this. Like if we had actually closed down fully for a small amount of time in the beginning, I think things would be a little bit under control. But there's also the sense that don't you think other people are going to fly in and bring it? Like, Mm -hmm. do we not understand that we're connected at this point in history to the rest of the world and that their problems are our problems? Yeah. I don't know. Based on the policies, you see, no. (laughs) Like, you really, there is like this disconnect and how it, it all comes together and yeah i i i it it just it worries me for what happens if you know there's another spike in cases that completely destabilize the country again and how people respond to hearing we're shutting back down that these industries that just started to begin to recover saying oh we gotta go back to the cataclysmic times and what the government will do this time because yeah if if people felt supported and really had the idea, it's like, no, we all have to do this for the benefit of the country. And on top of that, we'll make sure nobody is pressed financially to ensure that we do what the best thing is for the country. Then maybe we'd have a different outcome. Yeah, it's hard to say at this point, especially when a lot of governors tactics are to cut the checks off from people who need them most. Yeah, I don't see like I I agree with you in terms of a surge. I don't think the people I know are going back to wearing masks. There will, you know, I don't see that happening. And so it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out in the next couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. I do think it'll probably play out. Hopefully this isn't the case, but the the way that that Abed described it where, you know, people with access to the vaccine just feel safe pretend it's not happening and then people in poor communities suffer the effects and the deaths because it's just like yet another way in america that like wealth like you can be too poor to live uh and Mm -hmm. americans and american culture is just like yeah i mean that's that's what you signed up for uh essentially even though they wouldn't say that out loud like that is you know, yeah. And what the, the fuck do you expect print. from a from a country and culture that accepts that healthcare is not a universal right? It's like, yeah, yeah, that's gonna that's gonna come into play. One thing with vaccines that we're now confronting is that there's no international standard for what is or isn't an acceptable vaccine. Uh, mm-hmm. We actually crossed this uh, with that Bruce Springsteen performance where he basically opened back up his Broadway show to vaccinated audiences. But he at first was not going to allow people who had been given the AstraZeneca vaccine uh, to come to the show because it wasn't like an FDA approved vaccine, basically. And then people, you know, it was like widely used in the UK and Canada and they eventually relented. But I mean, uh, this health expert specifically says as we roll into 2022, there's going to be just this mosaic of different vaccine backgrounds that people have, and there's not going to be an A-list. Like, we have to figure this out, and, like, nobody's 
nobody's really deciding right now, like, okay, what vaccines count as being vaccinated? What don't? Like, how do we even monitor any of this shit? It's it's going to be messy. Yeah. And not just for Bruce Springsteen shows, stuff that people think is more important than that. We're just sitting on the technology and not sharing it, you know? Right. And it's funny, like we have there's all these efficacies. I'm like, oh, these these work pretty well. But we yet we can't get out of this cycle of being like, well, how how do we got to make money off of this still? You know, rather than what's what's the, the you know, what's best for the entire planet. And now we see it's really not like the developing world and the, you know, the first world or, you know, whatever problematic sort of delineations we had for different countries. It now just looks like vaccinated and unvaccinated is like the new uh, sort of metric to determine where a country like sort of stands in the world. Yeah. Um, and that's really just horrifying to think now. It's just like, well, yeah, yeah, some some people can get it. Others, maybe if they have enough, uh, you know, p- political skill can find a way to access these things. And there are absolutely counterfeit vaccination cards out in the in the oh, wild for sure, yeah. so it's not it's not even a guarantee it's like now we're like having some sort of like hierarchy of vaccines but we don't even know right. if these people are actually even vaccinated yeah. right. so it's like i i don't know how and and we don't know if we have to do a booster we don't know the efficacy of this against different variants like it's the wild west right now honestly and like i remember my um my esthetician was like i'm not seeing people unless they're vaccinated and he basically told me like he's gotten into these huge fights with like a ton of his clients who are like, I'm not getting vaccinated. Like this is, you know, absolutely discriminatory. And so it's just like what businesses, what countries, what who's going to require what as we move forward? Like it's it's very it's kind of the Wild West right now. We don't know where it's going or what it's going to look like, but it could get real ugly. Yeah. And you see people who especially like in L.A., like the yoga spiritual scene is like a hotbed for QAnon conspiracy now and anti-vaxxer talk because it's always just been this community of like magical thinking um, and a lot of just sort of rejection of established science that now that's created like this, you know, Petri dish for these other ideologies to sort of like ingrain themselves. And you hear a lot of people uh, who are, who are like involved in like, the wellness world in like LA and things like that. And some people they're like, um, some of the places I used to go have gone completely off the map. Um, and are comp- they're, they've just like, it's really not about wellness anymore. Like they're fully have been, you know, crossed over, been red pilled, um, into like all these other conspiracy theories. So we see how it can, even in the way you look at like, well, the affluent people might not know. It's like, well, no, some of them are truly, some of the strongest holdouts for this idea of like, I, I need to exercise my body autonomy, but I don't want to apply that for other people either, which is like the great irony I see over and over with a lot of conservatives. A little anti-scientific thinking goes a long way. Like you, I, I just, it's so funny that I, you know, I've listened to a couple uh, early Joe Rogan podcasts and, you know, he has like interesting things to say about like psychedelics and like moon landing conspiracies and stuff like that. And then, you know, cut to five years down the road and he's like, I don't believe that I need the vaccine because I didn't get sick. And like kids don't need it's just like that small toehold can fucking send people uh, down a really dark path. 
Yeah, that yoga world is super sketchy. It's like when white people started doing yoga, we knew it was all downhill yeah. from there. That's what we were like. But uh, it's interesting because I feel like all, there's also all this widespread misinformation or or questions in this community of like, there's this this thing going around that like the vaccine affects women's fertility. So mm. I know all these like woo-woo mystic white women who are like, I'm not doing it because I don't want it to, if I'm not taking the vaccine because I don't want it to affect my fertility. And I'm like, is that a thing? Like, uh, according but that's, to this Facebook group I am, I'm in. Yes. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> What's this Facebook group? I got to get in it. I think the thing that's probably affecting fertility more than anything is like the environmental shit that's making men's sperm count drop at a rapid pace. And nobody's investigating that too hard. Uh, apparently. Right. No, because nobody wants to be up in your penises. They're just up in our vaginas. So yeah, exactly. like that's where the problem is. Hey, Let's just leave go to the source people. of the problem. <laughs> um, yeah, not surprisingly, there were protesters outside of the Bruce Springsteen show claiming uh, it was a form of segregation akin to Jim Crow and Nazi Germany. You guessed it. So, oh, I love that. I love when they use that. <laughs> The self-oppression narrative is like so fucking tired. Like, and I, it's, I, I'm always flabbergasted when I see, especially white people deploy this argument and with a straight face and think that that's real. And it completely, I think, underscores the lack of understanding of even like hegemony, you know, racism, all these other things that if you actually if for as smart as these people purport themselves to be, they have no idea about these concepts that are actually affecting the world that they live in and are just rather just re- resort to these like really lame things like saying, I mean, I'm just being discriminated against for a thing I decided to do uh, rather than people who are discriminated on the basis of their race or ethnicity or religion and things like that. And just, OK, th- thank you. And this is why we're not we don't have progress at the rate that we need to, because so many people don't even understand how how these power dynamics like interact with each other right well no word yet on whether bruce springsteen's going to continue to make his uh podcast with barack obama called renegades hell yeah millionaire renegades <laughs> millionaire old 50 60 something renegades <laughs> Hell yeah. If people are so delusional as <laughs> to like co-opting these identities that have like nothing to do with the reality of where they stand in the world. Right. right. Renegade's yeah. actually the brand of ten thousand uh, dollar leather jacket that they both own. That's how they came up with the title. <laughs> There'll be a whole merch line. Yeah. Right. Be exactly. Brought to you by Renegade of... Jackets. <laughs> Jennifer, it's been so fun having you on Daily Zeitgeist. Where can people find you and follow you? Yeah, you can find me on all the socials at Jen Jaja. I have a link in my bio on all the socials as well, which is a Palestine resource guide I just threw up in the middle of all this craziness. It's a it's a Google site. It's not fancy, but it's got a ton of like information, infographics, short videos, primers for people who just like want to know the basics of what's happening on the ground. I also will be posting upcoming shows when the world continues to open up. Hopefully I'll be doing getting back on stage. So follow me on the socials and you'll find it all there. Nice. And is there a tweet or some other work of social media you've been enjoying? You know, I have to say I've been such a Debbie Downer the last month because everything I've been looking at is like, 
so much injustice and insanity. But I did start following this one site that I call my timeline cleanse. It's called Aesthetics. And it's just like really visually beautiful, serene pictures of like the moon or the sea. And like as much as I'm like, ugh, I hate those sites. Honestly, I check it out every night because I'm just like, I don't have time to meditate, but this is my tweet. (laughs) This is is my 30 second tweet meditation. It's looking at a beautiful picture of the moon to like let go of all the insanity of the world. Hell yeah. Miles, where can people find you? What's a tweet you've been enjoying? Uh, You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Miles of Gray. And uh, yeah, check out the other show, 420 Day Fiance, where we talk about 90 Day Fiance, you know, and the like. A tweet that I like, uh, it's from Pat Bits, Patrick Lucas Austin, saying, everyone wanted a hot girl summer and Earth was like, oh, word, I got something for your ass. Um, yeah, <laughs> so it's, it's, yeah, just, you know, let's take it day by day. Let's not get too far in the future and just realize that we still have work to do. You know, there's still a lot to do. On that subject, not a wolf at sick of wolves, uh, <laughs> and their avatar is a wolf. Account. <laughs> a wolf in a, a human suit. Uh, they tweeted, "Sure, the state I live in is experiencing historically dangerous wildfire conditions, but at least there is not some sort of explosion-centric holiday coming up." If you live in LA, you know that that holiday is has been ongoing and continues to be ongoing. Yeah, yeah. It's Fourth of July every day, and Freaking Hollywood for the last two years. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I said, fireworks season in L.A. starts Memorial Day and goes all the way to the next Memorial Day <laughs> in that it never ends. Because yeah. you got, man, fuck, I remember on just every, every day in June, I've been, there's been, I've had fireworks in my neighborhood every yeah. day. Yeah, me And too. we're in June. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, shout out to July because, I mean, and I, I and please, uh, I'm sorry to those pets out there and those dogs because they yeah. get very, very frightened by that shit. Yeah. I want to know who in their right mind is purchasing this volume of fireworks and setting it off every night. Like, I'm like, the ones, what? The ones I hear, they sound homemade. Like, they're just <laughs> big booms. I'm like, I don't even see shit in the sky. Like, I'm just hearing shit explode. Like, just th- setting off, like, M80s and stuff. I don't know. It's... Everyone's got their own, you know, firework kick, I guess. They're taking their unemployment bonuses and making their own fireworks right. at home. Yeah, <laughs> make my own black powder and I'll get They're this like, going. I have so much cash. I'm just going to do an underground fireworks business right. out of my garage. I was puzzled about the appeal of fireworks until one time a friend came and visited me. My friend John came out and visited me in Missouri, where I was living with my wife when we first got married. And... We stopped at a firework barn on the way back from the Kansas City airport and bought, you know, like $100 worth of fireworks, like really big ones. And like the really good ones are real, are, are real fun. Not to, not to <laughs> encourage it, but it's uh, just the dumbest fun you can possibly have. You are not doing a service I know, to the sorry. residents of Los Angeles. Yeah. You need to sleep. <laughs> yeah, my bad. They're so cool, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay now we know who's riding all those fireworks yeah, like right, nightly right, right. we're like where do you live Jack? yeah yeah everywhere <laughs> you do a cross <laughs> of all the fireworks and it's just like uh intersects over my house <laughs> yeah huh. Huh. <laughs> yeah 
Also, Munomeyer tweeted, finally comfortable enough with myself to admit that Train did, in fact, snap with Drops of Jupiter. <laughs> I, w- I aspire to one day be that comfortable with myself. You can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes, where we link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as a song we think you might enjoy. And Miles, why don't you tell the people what journey you are going to send them on? I'm sending uh, you on a journey from Fortet, uh, artists that I, I, I enjoy a lot. Um, and this track's called Teenage Bird Song. And the track feels like, I always try and give people a real descriptor for it. It's like loading screen music for like a PlayStation game, where it feels very like MIDI-like uh, flute sort of sounds. But it's also got like really wonderful percussion behind it. So it's like a dose of the familiar with a little bit of, you know, uh, honey to put in your hips to get you mm. in. So this is Teenage Bird Song by Fortet. It's a great title, Teenage Bird Song. For some reason, I really like that. Well, The Daily Zeitgeist is still a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can go visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And that's going to do it for us this morning. We're back this afternoon to tell you what's trending, and we will talk to y'all then. Bye. 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 Bye.